want to talk to you a little bit about um, living a prophetic lifestyle, moving from um, moving into a culture of a supernatural lifestyle. Would you turn to First Kings chapter seventeen? First Kings chapter seventeen, and we're going to start right there. Most of you will know the story fairly well. Now Elijah the Tishbite was a settler of Gilead, and he said to Ahab, As the Lord the God, lit, God of Israel lives, whom I stand, surely there shall be no dew or rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go away and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Sheriff, which is, north, which is east of the Jordan. And it shall be that you shall drink of the brook, which I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there, so he went and did according to the word which the Lord, <clears throat> I'm sorry, he did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived in the brook Cherub, which is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from, from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, and there was no more rain in the land. I, I want to just start out by saying, did you notice that Elijah was a settler. And how many of you understand that the day of, the, of ministering from church to church and not eating your own fruit <laughs> are, is over? The day of leave, living outside of community, the day of ministering to the church instead of being a part of the church is over. We were driving home um, from, actually from the Bay Area, no, from Vacaville, this is probably 10 years ago, um, we had just uh, been to uh, a meeting with Graham Cook, Bill, Bill Johnson and I, and um, Bill was being his quiet self, and then kind of out of the blue he said, you know how Jesus said that a prophet has honor except for in his hometown? I said, yeah. He goes, you know, I actually think it's supposed to be like that. He said, I, I think everybody's supposed to have a place where they're just them, where, where you're, you, know, you, you take out the garbage, you, you make your bed, you wash your clothes, and you just live as a human being, and everybody knows your stuff. And I think there's something about community. How many of you know that we're moving from conference to community? That the church wasn't born in a conference or a convention, it was born in a covenant. And so I, I love that, uh, that he was a settler, like this how many of you know that you can't change the Bay Area unless you take ownership of it? Like, you, you, when somebody comes to, to Bethel or you know, any, anything that I, that I oversee, and they say, um, you, know, you know what you guys need to do? I know they're not going to be a part of the solution because they've already exempted themselves from ownership. <laughs> it's you guys. And, and how many of you know, as long as we go... You know, the world's in trouble, and, you know, and we make it us and them. How many of you know we're not going to be part of the solution? We've already separated ourselves from the solution. And I, and I, I wonder, you know, sometimes we, there was a news, our newspaper, this is five years ago, our newspaper, every year it, it, um, it prints the, the headlines of our newspaper once a year is the annual report that they, that they, where they rate cities by their social statistics. And five years ago, in a city of 100,000 or less, 
out of the 10 social statistics that they rate, you know, like um, the, the, uh, the crime rate, the uh, um, unemployment rate, the, the divorce rate, out of the 10 top statistics that they rated, Be- I mean, Bethel, Reading was in the, the worst 2%. We were in the top worst 2% in eight of the 10 categories. And I took the newspaper article and I read it to our, ch- to our church. And I asked them a question. I said, is this our problem or the fact that it's not our problem is the problem? Because how many of you know Jesus didn't, God didn't say arise and reflect? <laughs> he didn't say arise and reflect. He said arise and shine. There's a big difference between being a, being a, a resource and being a source. We're not supposed to reflect our culture. We're supposed to transform it. And you can't transform something that you're not a settler in. (laughs) Uh, People, everybody's got answers for everyone else's problem. I'm like, how about you become a part of the answer? So I I love this story. So Elijah, he calls for a, a famine, calls for the rain to stop. And You'll notice that God never told him to do that. How did he get the idea to stop the rain? The, the Bible of his time, the Torah, said that if you serve other gods, it will not rain. How many of you understand this is the old covenant? Because Jesus said, Matthew 5, 43, that he said, he said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your neighbor, uh, pray for those who persecute you. Be like your Father in heaven who makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So how many of you know in the new covenant it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous? And God, and, and God helps the people who don't love him and the people who do. But in the old covenant, it wasn't supposed to rain on people who were wicked. And Ahab and Jezebel, how many of you understand, were wicked and it was raining. And so Elijah takes um, the word in his own hands, if you will, and he calls for the rain to stop, and you know the story, the rain stops, and after he stops the rain, God says, listen, I want you to go down to this brook, I'm going to, you're going to drink from the brook, and I'm going to send the ravens, and they're going to feed you in the morning and at night. And he gets down to the brook, and he's, he's there at the brook, and after a while, the brook dries up. We don't know how long that was. It could have been months, or it could have been a year, the, the famine lasts for three years, so he was there for a while, and the brook dries up. Now, who told him to go to the brook? God did. God said, how many know when God speaks to you, that's a prophetic declaration? And God told him, I want you to go to the brook, I'm going to take care of you at the brook, and he goes to the brook, and the brook dries up. Why does the brook dry up? Because it's what? Not raining. Who stopped the rain? Elijah did. His own ministry caused the brook to dry up. And God sent him to the brook to drink from the brook and, to, and sent the ravens to feed him. And the provision of God dried up. And I'd like to just begin with this. One thing I think it's important to understand is sometimes prophetic declarations have an expiration date. And I think that there are people in this room, and here we go. I told you this is more of a, of a prophetic declaration over you than it is a teaching. I believe there's people in the room that you're standing at the brook and you've been there a year past the time that, 
In other words, you're trying to be faithful to what God told you to do. You're at the brook and you're like, God told me to be here. I'm going to stay here if it kills me and it's killing you. You're talking yourself to death. You're standing at the brook where God told you, and you, you have five confirmations. God told me, and you know, I had this thing, a little blue angel flew over me, and all these things happened. I know I'm supposed to be at the brook, and I'm at the brook, and I'm not leaving here, because that's where God told me, and I don't, even the ravens forgot I'm supposed to be here. And I'd like to propose to you, is it possible that your prophetic word had a shelf life? It had an expiration date, and it's over. Are you with me? Some of you are so faithful, you're killing yourself. <laughs> okay. That was much better than your response. And get this. So he's at the brook, the brook dries up, and the word of the Lord comes to him again, saying, Arise and go to Jerapheth, which belongs to Simeon, and stay there. And behold, I've commanded a widow to provide for you. Okay, get this. Behold, I've commanded a widow to provide for you. Are you with me? Okay, he's got a dried up brook. He's got ravens who forgot to come. And now God goes, okay, listen, I got a new word. Got a new word. How many of you know it's not what God said, but what God's saying? <laughs> Jesus said, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Not priestes. How many you know what God said tells me how God thinks, but what God's saying tells me what God's thinking? And so there's a new word. You know, Isaac, Abraham gets, uh, God tells Abraham, take Isaac to the top of the mountain and sacrifice him. But it's about three days' journey to the top of the mountain. By the time he gets to the top of the mountain, there's a new word. How many know the word was, take Isaac to the top of the mountain and sacrifice him? But by the time he gets to the top of the mountain, there's a new word. What's the new word? Do not sacrifice Isaac. I provided a sacrifice. How many know if you're not current with God, your Isaac be dead? I'm trying to tell you that prophetic ministry is not like being a robot. It's like having a relationship with God. It's like it's actually having one. Just think about the way that people interacted with God is so much different than what I came out of. God's, you know, I came out of God said it, He meant it, and I, and, and and He's testing my faithfulness. And if the if the river dries up, then I'm, you know, I'm drinking water by faith, and I'm staying here, you know, to the, the last whatever. If I got to eat the rocks, it doesn't even occur to me to ask again. And so God says, I want you to go to this place. This widow's going to be there. She's going to provide for you. And so he arose, verse 10, he arose and went to Jerapheth uh, and, and came to the gate of the city. And behold, a widow was there gathering some sticks. And he called to her and said, please give me a jar of water that I may drink. And she was going to get it. And he called to her and he said, oh, oh, yeah, please bring me some bread too in your hand. This is the widow that God sent him to, to provide for him. After the dry brook, that God said, I'll take care of you by the brook. Are you with me? I want you to feel this. He's already at a dry brook where God said, I'm gonna take care of you, and that didn't last forever. And now God goes, okay, no problem, I got this worked out. 
wants you to go to the widow's house, she's going to take care of you. All right. If I'm Elijah, I'm thinking, well, you know what? God probably spoke to her before the famine and she's probably got, you know, she probably saved water and bread and she's, you know, like a survivalist, like, you know, we had in Weaverville. You ever heard of Weaverville? Dick knows where Weaverville is. Yeah, you, you, you know, a third of the people in Weaverville are survivalists. They, they have, they're Christians who have guns to protect their stuff in case you need it. So I, I, I'm thinking, Elijah's probably thinking, well, this widow, you know, she, God must have talked to her and she saved water and she's got stored stuff. And so he gets there and she's at the gate and he says, you know, bring, gets, you know, bring me some, uh, some uh, water and, and, and bring me some bread. And she says to him, verse 12, as the Lord God lives, like, I am not lying. <laughs> I know you're a prophet, but I'm not lying. As the Lord God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in a jar. And behold, I'm going to gather a few sticks. Behold, like, look, watch me. I'm gathering a few sticks that I'm going to go prepare it for me and my son that I may eat it and die. (laughs) I mean, about this time, you're like, is there anyone else up there? Right? Is this making sense to anybody? God sends you to a place and he goes, you're going to go there, you're going to get this job, it's going to be amazing. And you get there, there ain't no job. (laughs) Or you find out you're working for a place that's bankrupt. (laughs) And your first paycheck bounces. You're like, oh, you're going to provide for me here. Hello. And the widow says, I don't have any food. I don't have, are you serious? Get you some bread? Are you serious? I got to oil in a jar, a little bit of flour. I'm going to make it, then I'm going to die. (laughs) This isn't about Elijah. I'm talking to you. Some of you think you're at the wrong house. (laughs) I love this, this response. Verse 13. Then Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you've said. (laughs) But make me a little bread cake first. (laughs) I'm going to make this and then I'm going to die. Okay, go ahead and do that. (laughs) But make me some bread. Okay, before you go, I'll do the funeral for free. (laughs) Do not fear. Go, do as you've said. But make me a little cake first. And bring it to me. And get this. And afterward, make one for yourself and for your son. Uh, uh, Prophet man, I don't think you're getting this. I have a little bit. (laughs) You're going to make a little bit, a little small piece of bread. Yeah, make me a cake. And make one for yourself. After you make one for me. I'll come first. Verse 14, for thus says the Lord of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah. She and he and her household ate for many days. 
The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. <laughs> Some of you think you're at the wrong place. And here's the problem. You think the provision's in the widow instead of the word. And instead of, okay, say this, Chris is nice, he's in a good mood. Instead of complaining, you should be prophesying. Listen, now I understand that this is a little subjective because we just have, you know, an overview of what happened between Elijah and the widow and God and you know, I don't know that we have a word-for-word word account of everything that happened. But I'd like to suggest that God did not tell Elijah, like at least it's not written, that I, I'd like to suggest that God did not tell Elijah that the widow had nothing. But Elijah knows God. So when he gets to the widow's house, and the widow has no food, and she's about to die, he doesn't... It doesn't uh, I know this is my opinion. He, it doesn't occur to him he's at the wrong house. It doesn't occur to him that that he's this isn't the right widow, or maybe I got the word wrong. Maybe maybe it's three doors down. It doesn't. And then when she tells him I have nothing, it doesn't it doesn't phase him. It seems to not phase him because he re, because he understands God. He knows that his. That, that, his, that his provision is not in his circumstances, it's in his stances. We, we get someplace and God tells us to do something and we get there and we have it all figured out in our minds. And part of the problem is it's all figured out in our minds. It's part of the problem. We haven't figured out. We're like, oh, God, you know, you're going to get a job at this certain place. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know they here. They pay big money and I'm going to get promoted. To this, all these things are going to happen. And, you, and, and the problem is, is that you've been thinking instead of drinking. And listen, I believe in thinking. In fact, my prophetic word for this year was think. But there are times to stop thinking and just drink what God said. Just, okay, what did God say? And remind yourself of what God said. Are you with me? If God told you to go to the widow's house and she's got nothing, then the provision isn't in the widow. It's in the word. Listen, if you get to the widow's house and she looks broke and she's got a million bucks, then fine, let her feed you. You get the idea. I'm not saying God always does this the same way. He might send you to the millionaire's house, the billionaire's house, and you get to the billionaire's house and you say, God said to provide for me. You better give me your money, you're going to die, or whatever. You know, it's Old, old Testament, but you wouldn't say that now, of course, because we're not in the Old Testament. <laughs> but you get the idea. He, I don't care where God, it's not the method. Are you with me? If God sends you someplace and there's, and there's tons of food there and they've been hiding it, then just eat the food. But if you get there and it's not, there's nothing there, don't complain. Don't complain. Think, God sent me here and he wouldn't have sent me here to die. And I... I, I Do you remember Jesus retells this story? He says there was a lot of widows in Israel, 
But God didn't send Elijah to the widow in Israel. It made Pharisees really angry. And the point was this. God cared about the widow. The widow goes, I got a problem. Elijah goes, I got a problem. God goes, I got an answer to both your problems. It's going to be acceleration through association. You guys are going to put your problems together and it's going to equal an answer. And God goes, Elijah, listen, I'm going to provide for you through the widow. And he gets there, the widow doesn't have any food. And God goes, no, no, Elijah, I want to feed the widow more than I want to feed you, Elijah, actually. I want to help the widow and her son. This is a big surprise. I'd like to feed the widow and the son more than the prophet. Wow. Wow. (laughs) That's a good word. I I have a bunch more. I want to say this. How many of you, you're at the creek, you know for sure God told you to go there. But you realize just now, in the last few minutes, you've been there way too long. And you forgot to ask again. Would you stand? I'm going to pray for you right now. Right where you're at. No, I'm, I'm dead serious. I'm not joking. You know, when the God, when, when, when angel stirs the water, you jump in. Okay? You don't jump in when you want to jump in. You jump in when the angel stirs the water. You got it? The pool of Bethesda. I, I think when God speaks the word, he gives you grace. So if that's you, you've been, you, you, you've been obedient to God. You did exactly what he said. You're at the creek. The creek dried up. And you just realized you didn't ask again. <laughs> you didn't ask again. I, I can tell you, uh, you know, my, uh, my story, you know, I, I was in a business, God prophesied me into this business, Kathy and I were in this business for 20 years. For 17 years, we, it, was the, it was the creek. Three years, for the last, the last three years of it, it dried up. And I'm like, I'm, listen, God told me to come here. I'm giving you this word out of my own life. You, you want a message? It usually comes out of a mess. And I can tell you, if you get to the brook and it dries up, it's time to ask for a new word. So, I'll, I'll, I'm praying for, for you, for, as they say, all you all that are standing right now. I want to extend your hands to them right now. It's time to go to the widow's house. And Lord, we just release a new word to every single person who's standing right now. I, I pray that before tomorrow morning, there would be a new word. There would be a new word, and they would know it as clearly as they heard the word that brought them to this creek. That they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're to move, they're to leave the circumstance, whatever it is, whatever it is that got them to this place, whatever their creek is, they would know beyond a shadow of doubt as clear as they knew the first time, they would know again there's a new word. And I'll release a new word over every single one of you. That this is a new season, it's a new day, and God wants to provide for you, just like he did at the creek, but there's a new way he's going to do it. How many of you know, if you look back long enough, you become a monument instead of a movement? You start singing the way we were. Do you understand, when your memories are greater than your dreams, you're already dying. When your greatest testimony is five years old, you know something's wrong. So, Lord, we just release that over them right now. In Jesus' name, we thank you for monuments in our life. Come on, let's be real. We thank you for the testimonies in our life. But the testimony means God will do it again. 
And so, Lord, we release that, that word over them, that the testimony of Jesus would be the spirit of prophecy. What you did in our lives before, you'll do it again. And I, I prophesy a changing season for every single person that's standing. And, and Lord, let it not be a month, let it not be even a week. I pray that it, I pray by tomorrow morning that there will be signs that make you wonder in Jesus' name. Amen. You can sit. This is part two. I want you, if you're, you're at the widow's house, like you left the creek, you, you, you heard the second word, you're at the widow's house, you got there, you did everything God said, but the widow has nothing. You with me? She got no food. And instead of, and this is going to be, you know, this is humility time, this is confession time. Instead of prophesying, you started complaining. And how many of you know, if you don't prophesy, the widow doesn't end up with anything besides a jar of oil, and she dies and you die too. And so if that's you, and you're like, I, I was wrong, I'm confessing in front of everybody, and I can tell you, I, I, I've been standing for sure in those three years. Uh, so nobody in here does not have flaws, okay? This is a community, let's just stop faking it, I don't like it. But we're not all in the same season at the same time. So that's you. And you're like, I've been complaining, complaining, complaining. It never even occurred to me to speak into my circumstances. It never occurred to me that God wanted to use me to actually fix them. If that's you, would you stand? You're humbling yourself and you're saying, that's me. I'm sorry. I'm telling God right now, I'm so sorry. Forgive me for complaining. No, I'm serious. Forgive me for complaining. You're standing, you're saying, God, forgive me for complaining. I realize now. And God's speaking to you right now. He's speaking to your heart. And you, know, you realize, oh, I was supposed to be the answer, and I thought they were supposed to be the answer. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for humility. And you said if you humble yourself, then you're going to be exalted. And Lord, I thank you for every person who stood tonight. I thank you that probably every person in this room would be standing at some point in their life. But God, I, I pray that you would honor their humility in front of their sisters and their brothers tonight. And God, we, all of us, those that are sitting even tonight, we, we're saying, go God in their lives right now. God, provide through the widow, provide through the, the place that you said you'd provide, and Lord, use them to bring about a miracle in the life of the circumstances that they're in right now in Jesus' name. Or release that over them. And everybody who agreed, can you just say amen? Amen. amen. Good. Amen. <clears throat> Turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. This is a story of Elisha. You remember Elijah? I don't know what you guys are doing, but I think, I think it's awesome. <laughs> Our security would have you down on the floor. <laughs> the first one made me nervous. This is about the third one, I'm like, okay, this is supposed to happen. Awesome. <laughs> Such is your custom here. Thank you. Remember Elijah threw his mantle over Elisha? Do you remember that? 
And, uh, and Elisha begins to follow Elijah. Elisha. I don't know why the names are so close. I wish it would have been like, don't, you know, do you get them mixed up? I like, wish it was like, you know, George and Henry or something that doesn't rhyme and it's so obvious. Because half the time I'm telling the story and people are like whispering in front of me, e, that one's Elisha. Oh, whatever. The other guy. So Elijah throws his, his coat over Elisha and he walks away. And you, you, I'm sure you, you know the story. You've at least heard it or seen it in the movies. And so he walks away and Elisha runs after him. And, and Elijah says to Elisha, what did I do to you? And I, I, I love this part of the story. I don't know if it's captured very often. But it says, Elisha said, please let me go bury my father. And he goes back and he has 12, he has 12 teams of oxen. He has 24 oxen. He, 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 he kills the oxen and he falls Elijah. And this is really cool to me because w- w- the, point, the point the Bible's trying to make is he burns his bridges. He doesn't have a plan B. If it doesn't work out with Elijah, he has no place to go. He, 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 you understand, he, 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 he sold the farm. <laughs> he has no animals. He, he has no way to farm. If, if, Elijah's, if his deal with Elijah doesn't work out, he can't go back to the farm and farm because he's got no equipment. He just burned it all in an offering. Are you following me? I, 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 I'm just trying to say that part of what it takes to follow God is no plan B. Now, l- let, me, let me be clear. Sometimes you need a plan B, but you don't know it until you've exhausted plan A. And God says, okay, we're going to do plan B. That's fine. You, you get me. That's the story we just read, right? But I'm saying, when a, God sends you to a brook, you don't go, if this doesn't work out, I got another job. But when you get to the brook and it dries up, you ask God, and he goes, oh, there's another plan. That's fine. I'm saying you don't live with any options. <laughs> I'm saying one, one way, <laughs> how many of you know it's called the faith, not the fact? I've been interacting with people this week on Facebook. People on Facebook, are they're just the funniest. You, you know, when you get behind a computer screen, you can just become another person. You can just be so bold and brave. I just wonder, it's like a little mouse behind the curtain. Like, You know, Christians are like, I believe in creation because science says, you know, I, I don't know how all that works. I, I didn't come to God because my mind figured it out. God, I, I think God, like, like he's God. <laughs> like, he transcends the laws of physics. He lives in another dimension. So when someone says, well, do you understand how, you know, do you believe in the six-day creation? I, I don't know. Well, science says, I, I don't, the dinosaurs, where are they? I don't know. Where are the dinosaurs? Why, they, you know, they didn't get along with God. They died. There was an ice age, and now we got global warming, so it's awesome. Too bad they didn't live during global warming. They wouldn't have died. <laughs> I'm trying to say, like, if you have it all figured out, listen, if you, if you have all the answers, you don't, you've misunderstood the questions. And I wrote on, you know, evolution. Look, I'm not trying to make anybody upset, but, like, like you have to have lots of faith for evolution. <laughs> No, we live by faith too. So I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody. I'm just saying, I'm trying to say, 
don't try to don't tell me that you got anything worked out. You're a scientist, you're you know, astrophysicist, you're like, this is the way it is. Really? How come you change your theories about every month? And I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong. I'm saying that's how we live too, right? We live by revelation. We're like, we thought it was this way. And God goes, here's another word. We think it's this way. And we're sure of it. Now, we need a new conference. What we said, I write stuff in my books years ago I don't even agree with. People are like, you know, my students go, you wrote and such, such. I'm like, oh yeah, just cross through that. That's not, that's not the Bible. That's not the Bible. I was trying to see if you had any insight into the prophetic nature of God. There's mistakes in there on purpose for you students. Your job, if you should receive it, your mission, is to find them. (laughs) I was preaching, this is a true story. You you know, by the way, you you can't find anything on the internet that's worse than I'll tell you about me. (laughs) They have two websites dedicated against me, and I'm like, that stuff's all lies. The truth's worse, though. So I'm like, you want to know about me? Go to the websites. <laughs> I was preaching. This is probably, I don't know, I'm, I, time all mixed up because I live, you know, <laughs> whoo, heavenly places outside of time and space. <laughs> that has nothing to do with it, actually. I'm just being funny. But I, I was preaching and I, I got inspired. This is probably three years ago. I got inspired. You know, we have live stream TV, right? Live. Like, it has... Uh, it has half second delay, which Kathy reminded me of the very first time I preached when, when we were live streaming. She woke me up at three o'clock in the morning. She leans over. She goes, are you awake? I said, what? She said, tomorrow you're preaching. I said, I know. She said, it's live streaming. I said, I know. She said, there's no delay. I said, no, there's a delay. She said, no, I asked him, Janae, who's our TV guy, if there was a delay. And there's, 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 there's no delay. You know what she's saying, right? Don't do anything stupid because the whole world's going to know it. Like, we're not going to be able to edit you. So I was preaching, and we all know how this happens, and I got suddenly inspired. You ever been inspired when you're talking to someone? You know, even if you don't preach and you're just like, wow, the boost, the boost, goosebumps? The goosebumps were going, and I started preaching, and I had this idea, and I started sharing it. 15 minutes I shared the idea. Seriously, 15 minutes, I was into it. And then I had this sudden thought, none of what I just shared is biblical. (laughs) Like, not only is it extra biblical, it's anti-biblical. Like, five scriptures entered my mind against what I just spoke. I'm dead serious. It happened like that. And I said, so I stopped and I said to the people, you know that stuff I just shared for 15 minutes? That's all wrong. They just went like this. I go, seriously, I, I, I'm not joking. Like, I know you think I'm kidding, but all that stuff, I, I thought I was like really anointed, but it was, it was actually not accurate at all. So and then I go, um, let's go back to my notes. <laughs> and they just sat there. And then all at once, they just roared in laughter. They thought I was being funny. <laughs> I'm glad they thought that. So Elisha doesn't have a plan B. He follows uh, Elijah. Is that right? Yeah, he follows Elijah. 
And finally, Elijah goes up in the chariot or behind the chariot and his mantle falls and you know all that story. And so Elijah, Elisha is, is now the man. In chapter 4, uh, verse 1, it says, Now there was a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. She cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said, What, sh- well, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, get this, is this amazing? She said, your maidservant has nothing except for a jar of oil. I mean, what is this about oil? (laughs) I don't know what you do with oil in the Old Testament, but it's like, everybody's got oil. (laughs) What do you got? Just oil. (laughs) Is that, you know, it's a laxative or something. (laughs) Well, that's, shouldn't have said that, sorry. He says, what do you have? She says, I don't have anything, just a little jar of oil. Uh, uh, <laughs> and, he said, and I don't know why it's always a little jar. Why is it just a jar? I guess she didn't say little here. And he said, go borrow some vessels at large. And, and I want to tell you more about that in just a minute. You know, when, I think that we're all overly aware of what we're not. When, he, Elijah says, what do you have? Elisha, what do you, sorry, I did it again. Elisha, what do, it says, what do you have? She says, I don't have nothing. I don't have anything. Oh, I got some oil. Got this oil, that's all I got. And, and, and I think that we think when God says, what do you got? That he means, what do you got to solve this problem? And he just means, what do you got left over that you can give to me? Because God doesn't care what you don't have. He only cares what you have. You know why the... the you, isn't it true? God goes, what do, you, what, what do you have? You know, what are you good at? I, um, <laughs> I don't know. I pretty, nothing I can think of. What do you suck at? Oh, yeah. I wrote three books about that. Uh, you know, Jesus, you know, in fact, it says in this one instance, I think it's in the book of John, Jesus, there's 5,000 people and Jesus says, where are we going to go to get the food for these folks? And he, it says he already knew what he was going to do. And one of the disciples, one of the 12, who I think remains unnamed in the story, he goes, oh, this little boy has lunch. Now, these 5,000 people, <laughs> I think he's being sarcastic. You know, if we said, just this amount of people, what's here, maybe a thousand people? Say, okay, we're going to feed all these people and we didn't bring any food and we need to do it right now. Oh, I got a lunch. <laughs> and it says, and it goes like this, he goes, uh, this boy has, uh, he has lunch, two fishes and, and, and four loaves or whatever he had. And then he goes, and then he goes, but what, and then he goes, but what is that for so many? I'm sure that, I'm sure he goes, well, this little boy's got a lunch, and then I'm sure the other 11 disciples looked at him like, you, are you, you're not stupid, are you? <laughs> then he's like, well, what's all that? You know what? <laughs> How many know the reason they ate fish and loaves is that's because what the, what the boy's mama packed. <laughs> if she would have packed tacos and refried beans, Jesus would have multiplied tacos and refried beans. Yeah. Are you get, 
I'm trying to tell you, like, when God comes to your house and he goes, what do you got? Stop telling him what you don't have. Well, I got to just be really proud. I got a jar of oil. What do you got? I got a jar. I know what you can do with a jar of oil. What are you good at? Uh, <laughs> I can yodel. God's all, that's amazing. We're going to have a yodeling conference. People are going to get healed, saved, delivered. Are you with me? Can we just get over ourselves? Do you know, I'll tell you another thing. You, you are not just your strengths. You know, we, how many of you ever read Strength Finders, the thing? We have, Strength Finders is a book. <laughs> okay, well, this isn't even going to work here at all. There's a book called Strength Finders, and it helps you find your strengths. And anyone ever done a disc test or any of those personality tests? I mean, those are all wonderful. They're all, I, I, I like them all. I, I, I like them all. I mean, they, they don't work, but I, I like them all. <laughs> No, I really do like them. And we use them. We use them in our school. We use them on our staff. And, you know, they have their place. Uh, but here's the struggle. You are not just your strengths. <laughs> you are your weaknesses, too. No, I mean, you are, defi- you are divinely flawed. Pa- Listen to this. Paul said it. <laughs> this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, not me. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul said, he's talking to, to Jesus And Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Then Paul says this, most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, insults, distresses, persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, I am strong. Now, I don't know, I prefer when God uses me in my strength, even if it's a little jar of oil. But God goes, there are often times where God goes, okay, what do you suck at? And you're like, I'm not good at this, this, this. He goes, that's what we're going to do. We're going to use you where you suck. And you go, why am I going to, why? And God goes, because when you do something amazing where you suck, people are going to go, that has to be God. I'm serious. Like, like, Paul said, I'd rather boast. If, if I'm going to brag, I'm going to brag. I'm not good at this, 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 this. And you go, Paul, you have to be good at that stuff. You did all that stuff amazing. You go, if you knew me, you know that was God. I write books. I cannot spell. You notice I don't still read very well. And I've read those verses a hundred times. Twenty times out loud. And I still don't get them right. And I noticed, you notice, like, when I can't pronounce a word, I just read it fast, and people are like, I didn't know it was pronounced like that. I'm like, I have no idea how it's pronounced. When I graduated from high school, I got me an education. Went to What's the Matter You. Got a degree in hammerology. I graduated from high school with a third grade reading level. I couldn't read. I learned to read reading the King James Bible. No, no, no. The King James Bible. And God, you know, this is the funny thing. God gives me, like, you know, a lot of people get saved and they're like, yeah, I like the Bible. God gets me saved, a guy who can't read, and he gives me this incredible hunger for the Bible. A guy who can't read. 
It's like, God's going, watch this. This is going to be so funny. (laughs) Let's let's make him just love to know what's in the Bible. (laughs) Oh, Lord, that seems a little cruel. He can't read. I know. I would stay in my, uh, my, I live with a, uh, uh, a guy who's my friend since sixth grade. I didn't want him to know that I was a Jesus freak, that I had this radical conversion. So I'd hide in our closet, turn on the light, and read the Bible all night. I mean, like all night would be a chapter, right? Because there was words like, sanctify, fool, fuck, God. And I worked to sound them out, but I didn't have any tools because I, I, you know, school, I checked out of school. So, uh, so, uh, So then God gives me this prophetic word. This is a true story. This is like nine years ago. This guy prophesied over me and he says, I see you, you're like like Mark Twain. You're gonna write books. You're like C.S. Lewis. I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, thank you very much. (laughs) One problem, I can't spell. And I can't type. I mean, I use all my fingers, but not, you know, you don't want to use them all at once. Like you just use these, then you use these. (coughs) My first book I wrote was, you know, Dragon Speech Software? Yeah, the dragon. I spell so bad and I didn't understand how to use the program because I'm also not a techie guy. So, you know, like, so I got this computer to, to use Word document. And, and, it, and it's got spell check, right? I didn't understand that when it says, do you want to add this to your dictionary? <laughs> so I just put yes. For a year, I'm like, well, of course I do. I guess I do. A dictionary talks in tongues. <laughs> so when Bill wrote his first book, Bill Johnson, you know, Rosebrook first book, When Heaven Invades Earth, our whole staff is like, well, of course it's Bill. I mean, he's good at everything. Don't you hate people like that? And then God says, I want you to stay with them forever. I'm like, oh, this is good. You think I had weakness before? Listen, if you get into compare mode, you're just going to get depressed when you hang out with Bill. I mean, he can sing, he can play the piano, he can probably dance as good as those people. Who knows? He was liked in school. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. He had a good mom and dad. <laughs> so, when, you know, he wrote a book. Our staff is like, well, of course, it's Bill. Two years later, I wrote my first book, and the staff is like, <laughs> if he can write a book, anybody can write a book. Now we're like, we have 22 authors on our staff. I'm serious. We have 22 authors on our staff. They're all like, I, I can spell. <laughs> you are not just your strengths, you're your weaknesses. And sometimes when you work in your weakness, people know that's gotta be God. People that read my books, they, if they knew me, they'd be like, that has to be like right close to the Bible, like the oracles of God. He couldn't have done that. Not because they're that good, just because they, they make some sense. <laughs> anyway, you thought I was bragging. I was doing the opposite. Okay, let's go on. Can we please? 
So, okay, shut up for a minute. So he tells them, go borrow some vessels. Go borrow, uh, verse three. So he said, go, he tells her, he said, go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you, you and your sons, and pour out into the vessels. And you shall set aside what is full. And she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, and they were bringing the vessels to her, and she poured. And the vessels were full, and when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. And the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. You and your sons can live on the rest. I I love this story for lots of different reasons. But he tells her, go get vessels, go get jars. And listen, don't just get a few. Like, go get them from your neighbors, go get them from your friends, and just get as many as you can. And so she has what? She has just a jar of oil. And he goes, when you get done, what I want you to do is take the vessels and I want you to pour the oil, this little jar of oil you have, I want you to pour it into the vessels. And she pours and, she, and she's pouring. You can imagine she's got her, her two sons helping and they're pouring, pouring. And she goes to pour and she goes, hey, there's, we need another vessel. And they said, we're out. We're, we're out of vessels. And God goes, when you're out of vessels, I'm out of oil. <laughs> Sometimes you... you you run out of vessels way before God runs out of oil. <laughs> Sometimes you say, God says, go get vessels, and you, you go get vessels. And he goes, get, get a lot. And you think a lot is four more than you have now. And God goes, you're dreaming way too small. I said, get vessels. <laughs> I said, and you know, it doesn't occur to you like, like God means barrels. Like, go get barrels. Like, this woman could have been rich. She could be like an Arab. <laughs> Selling oil to the Americans. <laughs> Are you with me? How many of you know you determine your place of prosperity? No, listen, th- this isn't about money at all. It's just so easy to demonstrate with money. And Jesus did it constantly. He used money as examples constantly. In fact, more parables about money than anything else. Why? It's just easy to illustrate. So how many of you understand? It says, give, and it shall be given to you. Okay, but wait. And then it goes, press down, shaking together, running out all over. Then the next part of the verse says this. By your measure, it shall be measured to you. By your measure, it shall be measured to you. What does that mean? It means, if God says, if I give to God with teaspoons, I go, okay, God, here's 10 teaspoons. God goes back, okay, here's 100 teaspoons back. I go, okay. God goes, I give to God with a cup. I go, God, here's 10 cups. God goes, oh, we're using cups by your measure. Okay, here's 100 cups back. I go, God, here's 10 barrels. God goes, oh, here's 100 barrels back. Oh, here's 10 truckloads. God goes, okay, line them up. And and my point is, and and, you know, obviously I'm being serious. Like, this is not just about money. And your giving isn't measured by how much you have, but what's left over when you're done giving. People think God doesn't care about giving. And again, this really isn't about money, but just for the sake of, where's Jesus standing in the temple during the offering? 
No, I'm not talking about in here. I'm, this isn't manipulation. I'm saying in the story about Jesus in the temple and the woman that put in two mites, where was he standing when she was giving? Well, we don't know, but wherever they were giving, he was watching what they were putting in. That had to be uncomfortable. You know, you see Jesus standing, you're like, hmm, I think I'll give it extra, whatever. Right? And the lady puts in, I don't know, let's just say it's two quarters. But whatever it was, equal to, Jesus stops the offering and he goes, listen, this lady gave more than y'all. And I'm sure they're like, she put in two quarters, Jesus. He goes, no, no, she put in everything she had. So what I'm getting at is this. Your giving isn't measured by, by how much you put in. It's measured by what you got left over after you put it in, right? And so what I'm getting at is, in my illustration, she, she, she measured two truckloads. It looked like two teaspoons. But because of the level of sacrifice, are you with me? Because of the level of sacrifice, you go, I don't, you know, I'd like to give God a lot. It's like, it, it, does, it doesn't, God's not looking at the, the, the actual amount you write on the check. He, he's looking at, did you give with the, it, with the teaspoon of your heart or with a dump truck load in your heart? That's what he's looking for. He doesn't care what anyone else thinks. You, he knows you. And you're like, God, listen, I'm giving you everything. God goes, yeah, that was, those were barrels. And I'm going to give you back barrels. And yeah, you know what? If you're a billionaire and you give 10 million, how many know that's not much money? But you know what? If, if, you, if you don't know if you're going to make your rent and you're like, you know what? God told me to give this. Whatever it is. And you give that and God goes, okay, I get it. That's you. Trust me. That, right? You, you're following me. And so that's a good word right there. Man, I'm only five pages into 17. <laughs> this is the last night of the conference, too. You, you, isn't it good that God said, give and you, it shall be given to you? Like, think about this. If God said, I'll give to you, then you give, then you don't get to determine the level of your economy. But when God said, you start it, I'll finish it. You go get the jars. Listen, I just said, get as many jars as you can. You're the one who decides to dream how many jars that might be. Because I didn't give you a number. How many know that God said, Jesus said, I, the, I give you the spirit without measure. So who has the measurement? How much of God can I, can I have all the gifts of the spirit? He gives the gifts without what? Measure. How much of the spirit can you have? You decide that. Well, measure means this. Okay. That's what it means for you. Well, I believe you just said, I believe. I believe. I believe I could have this much. Awesome. You can have that much. Well, how about if I believe I could have this much? Yep. That answer's right too. But I believe I could have this much. That answer's right too. But you said the answer was right here. No, I said, whatever you believe, you can have. Because that's, listen, it's not just that you believe, it's that that's how many jars you're going to go get. 
It's not just that, okay, I intellectually believe this, okay, I just believe. No, you're going to prepare what you believe. You're going to have action to what you believe. Are you following? I'm not just saying you're, you're going to believe and it's going to happen. Like, uh, uh, you're going to confess. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, I'm saying your faith will be seen in how many vessels you go get. Can you stay with me for 15 more minutes? Or? Verse 8. Then there came a day when Elisha passed over to someplace, and there was a prominent woman. <laughs> I was going to fake it, but they got it up there. It messes me up. I wish, take that down. <clears throat> Thank you. Now, make me look skinnier. And there was a prominent woman there, and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Just get this for a minute. She said, Behold, I perceive. Are you with me? She, she hasn't seen him do miracles or anything. She's, she's telling her husband, if you will, I got a gut feeling that this is a holy man. She doesn't like, hey, he did these miracles, we ought to help him. She's like, I got a sense that this is a holy man, and we ought to do something for him. And so she says to her husband, um, please let us make a, 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 a little walled chamber for him. And let us set a bed in there for him, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand. And it shall be when he comes that he can turn in here. And one day he came there, and he turned in the upper chamber, and he rested. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shubanite. And when he called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, it's so funny, she's standing there, and Gehazi's standing here, and he says, Gehazi, tell her. I'm like, I don't know why you don't just tell herself, but I guess this is mentoring. Okay, here's what I want you to do. You tell the woman, uh, Elijah said to say, okay, what do you want me to say, boss? Says, so he says to him, now say to her, behold, You've been careful for us, or you've taken care of us. With all this care, what can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? And she answered and said, I live among my own people. And so, so she answered, I live among my own people. So he said, what shall be done for her? And Gehazi answered, truly she has no son, and her husband is old. And he said, and he said call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway. And then he said, at this season next year, you will embrace his son. And she said, no, my Lord, oh God, oh, oh my God, do not lie to your maidservant. Oh man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. And the woman conceived and bore a son at that season next year. And Elisha, just as Elisha had said to her. I, I, I love the story for a lot of different reasons. She, she's taking care of Elisha. She's built him an upper chamber, and she's feeding him. And I don't, who knows how long it was. I, I suppose it was a long time, maybe a couple of years. And one day, Elisha says to Gehazi, you know, we haven't done anything for this woman. Like, she's taking care of us. Call, call her in. Let's do something for her. So she comes in, and he says to her, what, what can we do for you? Like, You've taken such good care of us. I'd like to actually do something for you. Can I speak to the king? In other words, you know, I, the king's my friend. 
the captain of the army is my friend. Like, you know, I could get you some favors, some money. What do you need? And she says, I live among my people. In other words, she's saying, I, I don't need anything. Listen, I'm good. Listen, I didn't do this to get something. I'm good. And she leaves, and Gehazi goes, hey, boss, I got an idea. She's got no children, and her husband's old. And Elisha says, call her back in, and she, he calls her back in, and he says, at this time next year, you're going to have a son. This is, this, is really, this is really touching to me. She says to him, do not lie to me. Oh, man of God, do not lie to me. I love this. She's, look, what's happening in her life? How many of you know she's an Israelite woman? She doesn't have a son. She doesn't have a child. Do you understand? This isn't like you not wanting children in the 21st century. You know, I mean, you know, half couples don't have kids. This is, this is not just about a son. This is about honor. This is about, this is about shame and honor and, and, and the Bible and the Bible is telling you if, if you serve God, you're going to have children and you're going to, God's going to multiply. You get this? This is not, this is about, this is more than about children. This is about God not blessing you for whatever reason. And she says, don't lie to me. What's she saying? I have hope for so long that I can't hope any longer. Listen, I, I can't take another defeat. I can't, you know, I, in, in Romans 4, it says, and Abraham, in hope against hope, he believed. And so he became the father of nations. And so shall his descendants be. Uh, I, I'm not trying to get graphic, but in hope against hope, every month, Sarah had a cycle. And you can imagine when that cycle didn't happen exactly right, he hoped. It's possible. It's this word, the Lord, and hope. Are you with me? A month after month, months turn into years. And pretty soon she goes through menopause and she can't have a child. The promised child she can't have because she went through menopause. She's, not, she's beyond childbearing. She's biologically incapable. But Abraham believed that even God could raise a son through the death, through a dead womb, the Bible says. Are you with me? And hope against hope, he believed. And this woman's been, if you, are you with me? She's been through that process. She hoped, and she hoped, and she hoped, and she hoped. And what happened? She finally got her hope deferred. She got what? Sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Do, do, you, do you know that it's not that the thing you hope for that gets deferred that makes you sick? It's not, I hope for a son, I didn't get him, that makes me sick. It's when you stop hoping. <clears throat> when you stop hoping that your heart gets sick. How many know that faith, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen? And how many know it's by faith that we receive from God? And you can't please God apart from faith. Now, think about this. Faith is the conviction of things hoped for. And you can't please God without faith. <clears throat> How many you understand if you lose hope, there's no way to have faith? Because faith is the conviction of things you hope for. In other words, and let me just read you this verse. In Hebrews eleven thirteen, 13, he's talking about all these amazing men and women uh, who died. With, and they didn't receive what they pro was promised them. And it says this, and all these 
all these died in faith without receiving the promises. But listen to this. Having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they are strangers and exiles on the earth. In other words, they didn't receive what was promised, but they saw it. How many know there's no such thing as blind faith? You can have blind hope because hope feels. Faith sees and love never fails. Hope is what gets you off the couch to go to the front porch so that you can see what it is you feel. Somebody said, you, you just say to somebody, you know, I just have this sense that something good's about to happen to us. I mean, I have a sense, like it's not a positive thing, I have this sense. And they go, well, what is it? You go, well, I don't know. Well, how can you have a sense if you don't? No, hope feels. It's faith that sees. Faith goes, I think it's going to be, I think our son is coming home. I think our wayward son, listen, that's the, 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 the story of the prodigal son, the father, what's he doing? When the son's coming home, he's waiting in the field. Why? Hope got him off the couch. Faith caused him to see something before it happened. He's standing out there. Listen, he couldn't have been standing out there 24 hours a day for all the days his son was gone, but something rose in him. Something said, hey, something's about to happen to us. And he gets up there and he's like, well, I wonder what it is. And he gets up there and he, thinks, he gets in the field and he goes, I believe my son's coming back. I see it. Well, your son, hey, how many of you know he saw his son way before he was visible? Are you with me? <coughs> you can't have blind faith. You can have blind hope, though. And I will say this, hope is blind. We say love is blind, but hope is blind. <laughs> Listen, I love this. Proverbs twenty-one thirty-one: The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord, right? Psalms 33, 17. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Okay, Proverbs 21, 31 says, a horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Psalms 33 says, a horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. It's like, well, what the heck am I preparing the horse for? Here's the struggle. I prepare, God goes, I want you to prepare the horse for battle. I'm like, all right, then I hope in the horse. Then when the horse breaks his leg, I go, oh, it's over. God goes, no, no, a, hope, a horse is a poor hope for victory. Well, what the heck? You told me to prepare the horse. I said, prepare the horse. I didn't say, I didn't say put your trust in the horse. Why did you tell me to prepare the horse? You'd have something to do. I just want to know you're obedient. How many know physical obedience brings spiritual release? You, you prepare the horse and then you, then you thought, oh, God's going to bring victory through the horse. And God goes, no, no. And then the horse breaks down and you lose hope. You go, oh, my hope is lost. God told me to build this business and, and, I, and he would provide for me. And then your business goes bad. And God goes, oh, now I can really bless you. No, God, the business you told me to build went bad. God goes, but did you obey me? Yeah. Okay, I don't need a business. Listen, a business is a poor hope for victory. 
Why did I build a business? Well, what were you going to do? Lay in bed all day? <laughs> People, <laughs> I, I, I don't mean this offensively, so if it can be taken that way, please don't take it that way, okay? But sometimes you ask people what they do for a living, and they say, I live by faith. Okay, uh, don't be offended. Let's, just let me finish. I hate when they mean I live by faith means I ain't got a job. Because the connotation is once I get a job, I don't need faith, which means I've reduced my income down to what I can do. Listen, I don't care if you make a million dollars a year, have faith. Like, I don't want to count on my money. <laughs> I better just tell you the rest of the story because it's so long. So she, she has a son the next season. She has a son. Her son's out working in the field. He's probably a teenager. It seems to be a teenager. He's out in the field with his dad. He gets this bad headache. You know, probably had an aneurysm or something and something like that. He has a bad headache. And he, the dad runs him in to his mom. Mom takes him upstairs into the chamber, the prophet's chamber, and he dies up there. You remember the story? And so she says to her husband, you know, um, I'm going to go see the prophet. And he goes, well, is everything okay? And she doesn't bother to tell him, no, our son just died. She goes, it's all well. Saddle me a donkey. So she saddles a donkey. You know, they saddle her a donkey. She gets on the donkey and she rides off wherever Elisha's doing the next conference. And she's on the way there. And Elisha sees the Shumanite woman from a, a long ways away. And he sends, you know, he's old. And he sends Gehazi. He goes, go ask the woman, is, is she okay? Is her son okay? Is her, is, is her family okay? So Gehazi runs out and, and sees her in the, you know, far, still far away and says, you know, um, uh, my boss wants to know if everything's okay. She says, it's all well. Everything's good. Your, your son, your, your husband, she says, it's all good. So she, he runs back, gets there before the wooing still, and he says, boss, she said, it's all good. She's all good. She gets there, and you know what happens. She falls down on her knees. She grabs Elisha's legs, and she said, did I ask you for a son? Did I not say all was well? I didn't need anything? Wasn't it you who said you're going to have a son? And now my son is dead and this is your fault. And, and Gehazi goes to pull her off and Elisha says to him, no, 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 wait. The Lord hid all this from me. In other words, if, if follow me. The Lord wanted this to happen. The Lord did not tell Elisha, hey, Shemite woman's son died, go handle this. He turns to Gehazi and he goes, run, don't talk to anybody. If someone says hi to you, don't say hi back. Just run, take my staff. Where's the boy? Upstairs? Okay, go upstairs in our chamber, put the staff on the boy's face. Okay, I want you to do that. And tell the boy to rise. So he runs and, and the Shumanite woman says, I'm not going with Gehazi, I'm with you. I'm staying with you. I'll, I'll, I'm tell, I'll tell you why I really love the story in a minute. So, you know, you can imagine, they're, he's old, they're, they're on their way. 
Gehazi does exactly what his boss tells him. Puts the, the, the staff, da-da-da, you know, seven times, whatever it was. Nothing happens. He still has time to run all the way back. Boss is only halfway there. <laughs> he says to his, his, his master, he says, Sir, he said, I did what you said. I, I took the staff, I put it on the boy. He said, I did everything you said. The boy's dead, still dead. And Elisha said, okay, that's fine. And the Shumanite woman's like, it's your fault. I said, don't lie to me. He gets upstairs. The Shumanite woman, everybody's downstairs. He goes upstairs. He lays on the boy. It says, this is what it says specifically. Mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand. And he says he lays on the boy and his body heat begins to heat the boys. So the boy's body begins to warm. And Elijah gets up, he walks around, does it again. Finally, the boy sneezes seven times, gets up, and he's well. A great story. But here's, here's, here's the point where I'm headed. This is my final point for tonight. See, she, Elisha taught the Shumanite woman about the power of God. But the Shumanite woman taught Elisha about family. And she said, you caused this. This is your, listen, you're not going to go around prophesying. You don't even know, that, you know, what happens with your prophetic ministry. Oh, yeah, you know, you have all these testimonies. No, 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 no. You, boy, are coming home with me. You're going to weep with those who weep. You're going to get in the church. Listen, and you notice, Elisha tries to solve it with ministry. And God goes, no, no, I want body ministry. I want eye to eye. I want you to look into the eyes of this dead boy. I want you to mouth to mouth. I want your breath. I want you to breathe into this corpse. I want you, I want your body. Are you with me? Like, we want to like, oh, you know what? Listen, uh, go be well. Here, it's the magic dust. It's a ministry. And you know, it's good. And God goes, no, I want you to move into community. And I, I believe, listen, this is where I was heading all night. I believe the power of God. Jesus said, I don't pour new wine into old wineskins. And I think we're moving from ministry to community. I think the Shumanite woman is telling us how God wants to pour out his spirit. I think he wants to pour it out in families. And that's why it says in the last days I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. What's he going to do? He's going to restore the hearts of fathers to sons and sons to fathers. Why? Because God wants a vessel. Not just a few. Don't just get a few. Are you with me? Don't just get a few. Because I want the glory of the Lord to cover the earth as the water covers the sea. Listen, I want, you to, I want you to stop talking to those dead people. I don't want you to do body ministry. Mouth to mouth, face to face, hand to hand. I want you to raise the temperature of those dead people until they have hope that they're going to live. 